0: Who are the Mountain Meisters?
1: Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus.
2: Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it.
1: You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have.
0: Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hey, my fans, before we welcome our guest today, Russell and I have some pretty exciting
2: news. It's only three days left in the gear giveaway, and we still have a few hats with hand warmers built into them. Have you ever seen that?
0: I've never heard of anything so absurd, but I'm sure it works really well.
2: Innovations in the outdoor industry.
0: Exactly. But anyway, to win some of this free gear, just share one of our episodes on Facebook. Very easy to do, it helps us out a lot, and it's going to help you out a lot during the winter when you're wearing that toasty warm hat.
2: Hello Mountain Meister fans, welcome to the show. This is Russell. Hello everyone, this is Ben. Today on the show we have Nick Farrell. Nick is a professional ski jumper and a member of the 2014 United States Olympic team that went to Sochi. He's one of the nation's top talents and was the 2013 national champion. Nick grew up in New London, New Hampshire, and started ski jumping at the age of six. Nick, as a fellow New Hampshireite, I want to welcome you to the show today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
2: Yeah, Russell and I are really excited to talk today because
0: you're the first ski jumper we've had on the show. Your longest jump is 208 meters.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: (laughs) Let's stop right there and try to comprehend this. You're jumping a distance of not one, but two football fields. Correct. Do you you realize how amazing that is, or are you just completely desensitized?
1: Uh, I have to take a step back at times to uh, think about it. Uh, It's definitely a huge, huge distance to cover on skis, but uh, I definitely have to take a moment to think about that.
2: (laughs) I mean, you started all this when you were six. How big were these jumps when you were starting?
1: (laughs) They weren't uh, nearly the size that I jumped (laughs) 208 meters on. Uh, But these were just small jumps, essentially just like a... uh, a log with snow built up onto it. And, you know, I'm just a little six year old kid skiing straight down a mountain. So you put a jump in front of me and I just like <laughs> rolled right off. It so it wasn't anything big. It's, you started small.
0: So then it was baby steps from there, I guess.
1: Yep. And you, uh, baby steps and you progressed your way up as your skill improved and you felt more comfortable on your skis.
0: So I've read that there are different distances in the competitions. There's the normal hill, the large hill, and then the ski flying, which is where you really get these large distances. And Olympics are normally the the normal and the large hill. Do I have that right? That's correct. Okay. So when you rocket off this jump and you land somewhere very far away, how, <laughs> how fast are you going when you leave the jump?
1: Well, it depends on the size the hill, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, on the normal size ski jumps, we're going anywhere from uh, 50 to 55 miles an hour. And then to larger hills, we go from 55 to 60 miles an hour. And then ski flying can be 60 to 65 miles an hour just on a pair of skis. So we're going pretty quickly. It's like driving down the highway.
2: Off of a jump. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Off of a jump.
2: <laughs> Man, yeah, and I've heard you say that you're a little bit better on the bigger jumps and you actually call yourself a flyer. Uh, what do you mean exactly by that, flyer?
1: Just because on the larger size hills, we're in the air uh, a lot longer than on the smaller size jumps. So there's more flying involved. On the smaller size jumps, it's more strength and kind of technique. I wouldn't say technique because it's involved in every aspect of the Mm -hmm. sport. But uh, on the larger size jumps, for some reason, I just have the ability or have some mental and muscle awareness to be able to create a nice flight position that allows me to travel further.
0: So I guess I'll ask the inevitable question that I'm sure you get all the time. (laughs) And and our listeners are probably wondering this. So what happens (laughs) if you fall?
1: Well, there's a lot of things. Ski jumping is a very safe sport, and usually when you fall, not too much happens, and you sort of just fall out on your side. It's usually when you land and you lose a ski or something, and you just slide out. But sometimes when you're in the air, you could lose a ski tip, and that might just swing a ski right underneath you, and you might turn you upside down, and you might land on your head or your back or anything like that.
0: So you lose a ski tip? Yeah. The uh, ski breaks.
1: No, no, no. What happens – so you come off the end of the takeoff and you put your skis in a nice V formation because that helps catch the air and creates a larger surface area under your body for you to float on. But sometimes what happens if your ski gets on edge in the air, that wind can get the top of your ski tip instead of the bottom of it. It can catch the top and just whip it right around and just flip you over in the air. Um, there's a there's a video of me that has a pretty serious crash on YouTube that sort of demonstrates that happening and that can cause you know fairly serious injuries cause some broken bones or you know concussion but we train actually to learn how to flip or how to fall. So if we do get into that situation, we have hopefully enough body awareness, enough reaction time to spin it around to land on our back. But Mm -hmm. usually when that happens, it's not much of an opportunity to recover from that.
2: This is an outdoor sport. So there are other factors that you have to deal with, like wind and and snow and other things that are Mm -hmm. happening. Is that usually what would result in a crash is from these other factors or is it more technique?
0: Uh,
1: Usually uh, wind does play a large role into it. If you are a little bit off on your technique, that could exemplify all the outcomes that could potentially happen. But uh, having a nice, smooth headwind when coming from the front is nice. But if it's too strong, it can cause your tips to come up, your skis to come hit you too fast off the takeoff, and then they could drop. Or wind coming from the side can affect them and also take take the ski away from you if you're not careful. So there's all those factors. And, of course, like any winter sport that involves snow uh there's different snow types and stuff like that sticky snow ice corn snow
0: hmm.
1: um wet snow everything like that so there's all these different factors like you said it is an outdoor sport and uh you do have to take mother nature into account
0: yeah so you, you mentioned the skis a couple of times you're basically skiing on these big planks like the, <laughs> they're huge yeah. have you ever tried to take them to the slopes
1: I have actually um, not really like a whole day there's uh, there's a couple places around uh, ski jumps that have a little ski area right next to ski jumps so then you just go and maybe take a run or two on the skis but just imagine trying to ski down a ski mountain with 8 foot long skis <laughs> with no edges and a free heel so you know, you're know you kind of going down and you're really having to control these things it's not like you uh, you're going through slalom gates or stuff like that you're <laughs> A little more tentative than that,
2: let's say. Yeah, I always get so scared whenever they land, and mm-hmm. then I'm just like, "Oh no!" Do they actually know how to stop on these things? And then they always <laughs> seem to take a few turns and stop, and it's just it's pretty yeah. crazy. But Russell,
0: you'll be interested
2: in this. Uh, so there are regulations
0: on the suits, and it's not what you expect. There aren't regulations on it being too tight. It's that you can't have it too loose because yes. because it catches the air, and you're actually going to float more. Is that correct, Nick?
1: Yes, that's absolutely your, you know, the bigger the suit, the more you fly through the air. The best way to relate it to is someone skydiving and they Mm -hmm. jump out of the Mm -hmm. plane and they just fall however they do normally. But then you put a wingsuit on that person or some bigger material and they're able to start gliding away. Mm -hmm. So the thing is trying to regulate that. And those small little quote unquote advantages we might use definitely, Play a huge factor in jumping and yeah. that's something people aren't normally used to that we as ski jumpers are regulated to almost to the same detail that a nascar race car is regulated <laughs> and every jump we get tested you know our, we get our weight tested our yeah. suit see how it fits our entire body our ski length binding placement all of that stuff gets regulated
2: i had another question about the actual competition so it's not just distance that you're judged on you're also judged on the actual form and style wouldn't it make sense that if you have the best form and style that you would actually go further?
1: That's correct. That's uh, you know, right on the money. In order to go far, hypothetically, to go far, you have to have the best style or good style. So in a competition, we are judged, as you said, on our distance and also on our our style in the flight and also while landing. So basically... When we come off the end of the jump, the moment we come off the end of the jump, we're being judged, making sure our hands are nice together with our body and in control. And we're in control of our body as well and our skis and that we're utilizing the air. And if we have a great technique that will allow us to jump further and then land, hopefully, on our feet, as we always try to do in a nice telemark position, and so we get Bonus style points for that. But the whole point of having the style involved in it is because the sport has gotten so competitive nowadays, especially over in Europe. It's a huge sport over in Europe that people are all jumping the same distance. Now, people with the best style, though, so the people who are jumping the furthest, it's great, but they might not have the best landings and they might not be landing perfectly. So, what that does, it makes people jump as far as they can but also maintain have good flight positions good style and good landings that makes it so whoever jumped the furthest and looked the best is the winner
0: wow and i think maybe a good way to illustrate this because i'm wondering what's going on in your head throughout this entire thing so can you take us on a run with you let's start let's start at the top and you're looking down you know this huge ramp and then a jump at the end what's going through your head before you take off
1: Before I take off. Okay, so I've talked with a couple other sports, and I've found that ski jumping is very unique. Basically, when you're traveling at 60 miles an hour, you're thinking about one or two things that you could work on. If you start thinking about too many other things, the end of the jump is going to go by you quicker than you know and quicker than you can react. So in reality, when I'm sitting at the top of the jump, I usually take a couple few deep breaths just to calm myself down, just to bring my focus back to where it needs to go. And at most, I'll think about three things. And recently, in this past winter, the three things I was thinking of was set my in-run position, which is my tucked position right before I jump, that allows me to jump and take off. Mm-hmm. To to start early because you know I, I had a, a problem with being late on the end of the takeoff because we were going so fast. And then also to keep pushing. And to keep pushing means you know once that takeoff comes underneath you that I'm I still feel like I'm pushing down or jumping against the takeoff even mm. though there might not be anything underneath my underneath my feet. So in reality I'm if I could think of one thing that allow me to do all the other stuff that's great but three things is kind of pushing it for me but that's what I've been doing the last winter.
0: So then you simplify everything down to these three ideas and then you're taking off you're going down this jump and then you get the transition and you're about to leave the jump and are you just concentrating okay let me execute those three things?
1: yep uh right as i get off the start gate i should have set a good in run position so and then that goes out the window you know i don't need to do that anymore and then starting early that's pretty much right as i'm entering the transition when i start to think that as you're coming through the transition that's when you have to start essentially you don't have much time to say okay i need to start early i should start now start okay start now start now and then all of a sudden the takeoff is gone way beyond you so uh, it's like one of the worst feelings in the world trying to imagine uh running and jumping into a pool off a diving board and jumping and running two steps too late and trying to jump Then, So you're like not pushing off. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) you have that push coming down. And once you start to push down, you want to feel or like you kind of, you make yourself feel like you're continuing to push down.
0: So then you check off each of those items. Okay. Did this right? Did this right? Did this right? At what point do you know, okay, I, I, this is a good jump or I really messed up
1: uh, probably about 20 to 30 meters off the takeoff. You can feel that your body is in a much better position, uh, that you are carrying more speed over the knoll while gaining height. And that allows you to feel. And, you know, I'm only focusing on those three things. There's so many other things that are going on, but it just comes back down to muscle memory because I've been ski jumping for 18 years. So these feelings have been kind of ingrained in me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you kind of have that idea of what should happen.
2: You were saying how it's a very unique sport with the jumps. It's probably also very unique with the training. Could you talk us through a little bit of what you actually do to get ready for these competitions?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one unique thing about ski jumping is it's year-round. So we actually do it in the summer as well. It's a winter sport, but we do it in the summer. And some ski jumping facilities around the world have the ability to jump in summer, which is on an AstroTurf-style material but it's all laid up against the same ski jump that we would use and we water it down with uh, sprinklers and it acts just like snow and this is great time for training because in the winter we're always traveling to compete and every weekend there's competitions and you have to rest and recover so in the summer is when we actually get most of our training done actual ski jump training and physical training so aside from ski jumping all year round uh, our physical training kind of looks like We have a weight program uh, that includes strength and conditioning as well as plyometrics, flexibility, and core and coordination. Ski jumpers are very unique to the sport where they want to keep their weight down, but they want to have as much strength as possible. But to build strength, you have to build muscle, but muscle is heavy, so we're trying to develop long, springy muscles without the bulk.
0: Interesting. And One of the many things that we've learned from the athletes that come on this show is yeah, the, the physical preparation is very important, You know, the physical training, but you were telling us that you have a very unique mental training regimen as well.
1: Ski jumping is its a very simple sport. If you break it all down, take away the 60 miles an hour and flying through the air over two football fields, you know, <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a very simple sport. You're going from a tuck position to an extended position. And when it comes down to such a simple move, and trying to do that all at 55 miles an hour, or 60 miles an hour, you know, it makes it a little more difficult. But really, you have to be in the right mindset. And I've really started focusing a lot more on my ability to control my head and to control my thoughts as to where they are going. And this has definitely allowed me to stay calm in some of the most intense situations, whether it's bad weather conditions or big competitions. But one of the main vehicles that I've used is... Uh, Military Arnis, which is a martial art that is, it's a leadership martial art, actually, that that develops leaders and uses Military Arnis and the martial arts as a form and a vehicle to provide training. So this martial art definitely has helped me to bring my focus back and started to control my focus and to interact with myself and with others and also to center myself as best as I can.
2: It, it sounds really important just for your sport, I mean, you require so much focus. But then uh, what about kind of in your day-to-day life? Have you been able to use this and uh, anything else?
1: Absolutely. I, uh, it's a leadership art is what Military Arnese is. So that's the foundation of it. And leadership skills are key in every aspect of life. You know, I've found a big increase uh, in my abilities actually as a coach because I'm a coach of my local town's track team. And I found it's a great opportunity to see how these skills that I've developed, leadership skills, have uh, played into my abilities as a coach for a coaching track with these 6th to 8th graders. And I can use these and see it firsthand. And then also my personal relationships with other people and being able to take the initiative whenever needed.
0: Thankfully, we're conducting this over Skype, so we don't have to worry about asking you a bad question and getting beat up. Ah, no,
1: that's not right.
0: (laughs) No, but anyway, so you do all this physical training and mental training, and it all pays off. And this past year, you made the Sochi Olympics. Congratulations on that. What an accomplishment. Thank you. And, you know, I mean, I love watching the Olympics on TV. I'm sure you get this all the time. But what I think is so cool and, you know, you represent your country. Yes. What an honor. But, you know, people look up to you, but you're kind of an outcast in the fact that people really don't know what kind of training and what kind of preparation it takes to make it that far. I mean, Russell and I are asking you all these stupid questions. We don't we don't know what it takes. How cool is it to. Really, be around all these other athletes who actually know what it takes, who have been there before.
1: Uh, it was it was an amazing experience, and just being around those other athletes, as you mentioned, was it, it really fueled you? It really drove you, and it really drove me that you know you were surrounded by all these people that have had a, a journey that was similar to yours. I know I have a bunch of friends that made it to the Olympics as well, and. You know Those dreams, like my dreams, started when I was just a little kid and those dreams grew and grew and they became goals and then those goals became a reality and that was just an unbelievable experience and to be able to represent the United States was outstanding.
2: I know it hasn't been an easy journey for you. I mean, in the 2010 Olympics, you were actually one of the last people to not make the team, so that must have been devastating. And then back in 2013 you actually ramp it up you win a national title and then this past season you make it to the olympics so what really changed over the last four years to put you at one of the highest levels of ski jumpers for the united states
1: what really changed was my utilization of my mindset as we talked about a little earlier military our niece definitely helped bring my focus and laser it in on the things that i wanted to achieve and having those mentors from my instructors and my teachers of military, our niece, and also my family and coaches and all the support group that came. They they were the ones behind me and sort of got my head in the right place. And that allowed me to pave the way towards making this past Olympic team. Yeah. And
2: then you you make the team. You're there this past year. But I I also heard this statistic that the United States has actually only won one medal, I think it was a bronze, over the entire history of ski jumping. Does that put a lot of pressure on Olympians like you that are at the top of their sport?
1: It definitely puts pressure on you in some form or another. But as an athlete, you kind of focus on what's in front of you. You kind of focus on your goals that you have. And obviously, achieving an Olympic gold medal is one of my top goals. And I'm working towards that. But looking back in the past and how that was the only one medal won by a ski jumper from the US. That's something that I don't really put my attention on because as I mentioned it was my goals that are in front of me that I am working towards step by step to achieve.
2: Yeah, I was just kind of dumbfounded by that statistic and then I looked at other sports that the United States only had one in and I really I saw curling there too and I was I was like okay, well that maybe makes a little bit more sense. Canada pretty much cleans up there. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Quite an impressive journey. And I am just, it's so
0: inspiring to hear how mentally focused you are. Russell and I could probably do some serious podcasting with that sort of training. So. I, I want to go
2: for the ping pong Summer Olympics.
0: I <laughs> oh, yeah. Because we have no medals in that either. Yeah.
1: Well, there you go. There's always room for the first time, you know?
0: Exactly. So, one, one question that we like to ask our guests is for a gear recommendation. And okay. I don't imagine that. A lot of our listeners are ski jumpers, although if you are, please let Russell and I know because we would be fascinated by it. But anyway, (laughs) could you recommend our listeners one piece of outdoors gear that you like to use?
1: Well, I could recommend a a nice pair of eight-foot-long skis with uh, no edges (laughs) on it for people who use downhill skiing if they're interested. (laughs) But um, the one piece of gear I would recommend is uh, the Halty Winter Jackets. Our team has used them for the past year or two, and... You know, as a ski jumper, we don't really do too much endurance work and we're not outside moving around a ton other than standing on top of the ski jump and freezing our butts off. And these halty jackets have uh, definitely provided us with warmth and the breathability and the water repellent capabilities that, you know, we look for. And it definitely has kept me warm throughout some of the cold Finish winters that we've experienced.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. I always felt terrible for all the people that were standing at the top there during ski races or same thing with you. And I was like, "Uh, I think I might play basketball in high school.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll stay in the lodge. Yeah, 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 exactly.
2: Anyway, we will
0: throw the halty winter jackets and a lot of the other, all of the other resources that we've talked
2: about today on our website, mtnmeister.com yeah and to kind of wrap this whole thing up, we want to finish with the Olympics. you were just there, and so could you tell us what's the biggest challenge that you actually had at the Olympics this past season?
1: uh definitely one of the things I found a little more challenging for me, which is kind of ironic a little bit because I travel so much for my sport, was uh, adapting to the jet lag. I think I had a difficult time sleeping and getting over it, and you know the difference in jet lag because I was flying all the way from Vancouver where we had a training camp the week before all the way to Sochi which was essentially halfway around the world and I had a little difficult time adapting to the time and I've traveled a lot and you know gone over the time changes and stuff so many times and you know a big factor of that having a difficulty to adapt was the excitement and everything going on at the Olympics so having the ability to Get a complete night's sleep was a little more challenging than I expected.
0: Yeah, very interesting. You always hear athletes talk about the home field advantage. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I guess that's a perfect illustration of that, um, something maybe
2: not everybody thinks of. Where's the next Olympics happening for winter? Uh, Korea, South Korea? Korea.
1: Yeah. Yep, Pyeongchang, South Korea. Another so away
2: match. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah
0: another away <laughs> match.
1: Yeah. It's a beautiful place. I've had the uh, opportunity to go there, and it's, it's wonderful
0: very cool well nick thank you so much for joining us today this was awesome russell and i learned a lot to all the listeners out there the meister fans you can see all the info we've talked about today on our website and you can also find out more about nick at nick f-a-i-r-a-l-l thanks a lot nick
1: Yep, thank you very much, and uh, I hope to see you guys or talk to you guys soon, especially after the uh, 2018 Olympics.
0: So yeah, absolutely. Well, we it? might have to stand at the top of the jump with you one time. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, come on out. We'll, uh, I'll give you a show and you know maybe put some skis on you if you really oh, want.
2: Oh, nice. To <laughs> That's what Russell's looking <laughs> forward to. Excellent. Thank you lot. so much. Thank you. Hey, Meister fans. I hope you enjoyed our talk with the Olympian, Nick Farrell ben were you impressed no
0: not at all (laughs) of course i was impressed but anyway join us tomorrow when we have graham banks he's a professional snowboarder
2: he'll dive into what it's like at the top of the hill when you have all your friends and competitors staring at you right before your run do they hope you crash or do they hope you succeed find out tomorrow